1: One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. The truth is the
0: most convincing story that maps onto reality. It's Friday, August 25th, 2023, the 947th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'myourmoderator.substack.com. So this has been one hell of a week. We have fires. We have hurricanes. We have earthquakes. earthquakes. We were supposed to have a Donald Trump press conference to show us all of the election fraud evidence in Georgia. But they canceled that and said, oh, no, we'll just file it in a legal case instead. The communists are plotting various ways to try to make sure that Donald Trump is not on the ballot. And they're trying to assert that somehow they have the upper hand. Well, the week has not ended well for them. Certainly not the way they thought it would. And they are left with plenty to re about. And we will talk about some of that stuff, obviously, with Donald Trump and his new arrest, his mugshot and his return to the Twitter slash X platform in a little bit. But that's not all they have to re about. So let's start with some geopolitical re. This week, the leaders of member nations of the BRICS coalition headed to Durban, South Africa for the BRICS summit. Leaders of nations wanting to join BRICS attended as well. Reuters notes that invitations to attend the summit were extended to 67 leaders across Africa, Latin America, Asia, and the Caribbean. We've discussed on the podcast, maybe a couple of months ago, that Emmanuel Macron seemed like he wanted to attend the meeting, like he is interested in having France join the BRICS coalition. But apparently the rumor is Xi Jinping of China denied their request, so Macron did not go. The same article from Reuters previewing the summit laid out the key issue to be discussed. And keep in mind that Reuters is as much a mouthpiece of the global regime as any outlet you could ever find. This is basically the global source of the central narrative on regime geopolitics. Perhaps the most important and controversial issue the leaders are expected to discuss is BRICS expansion by adding new members, including the admission criteria and guiding principles. But divisions among BRICS members over criteria for admitting new members may preclude any major announcements at the summit, as the bloc operates by consensus. China, seeking to boost its geopolitical might at a time of tensions with the United States, is the main driver of expansion. Russia is also embracing it as a way of overcoming isolation over the Ukraine war, and India is also coming around to the idea. Now, already, this is ridiculous. This isn't some coalition of countries taking a back seat to the global regime. They represent over half the world's population. And before I move on to the next subject today, it will be clear that they have a very strong hand in terms of geopolitics. So to suggest that Russia is dealing with isolation over the Ukraine war is preposterous to suggest that China needs this because of rising tension with the illegitimate Biden administration. Similarly, preposterous. They're trying to make it seem like India's a little hesitant. No, they're not. And they note that Brazil is the most skeptical of enlargement. Oh, is that because they have a Joe Biden parallel? Lula da Silva installed as president after a stolen election and after they staged the Brazilian version of January 6th. Okay, commies, good luck. That'll save you. South Africa, the smallest in the bloc in terms of economic clout and population, was the first country to benefit from its expansion ambitions when it officially attended the original BRIC members summit of 2011. That is, before it was BRICS. It was only BRIC then. Brazil, Russia, India, China. The BRICS group accounts for more than 40% of the world population and about 26% of the global economy and offers an alternative forum for countries outside diplomatic channels seen as dominated by traditional Western powers. Its influence and economic heft has more nations eager to join. And more nations now have joined. This was a week ago. 23 countries have formally applied to become new BRICS members, including Saudi Arabia, Iran, UAE, Argentina, Indonesia, Egypt, and Ethiopia. Other issues on the agenda include discussions on global geopolitics, trade, and infrastructure development. Now, the global state media is telling us that the BRICS coalition, they have very low standards. They should be looked at as bad guys and seen as a sideshow to the global regime's continued and ongoing financial dominance over global affairs. They whine that the BRICS coalition does not have as a requirement for joining appropriate policies and standards on human rights. You see, they're not like the UN, who has standards on human rights but nonetheless violates those standards all the time, most particularly in the human trafficking operation that they run and call UN migration and the violent interference into affairs of countries around the world that they call a UN peacekeeping mission. But, you know, these other major nations are all just very, very bad human rights abusers, not like the global regime. People also complain that they have been insufficient in their support of the Ukraine side of the war effort because apparently the global state propaganda media is confused about what the R in BRICS means. It should be some indication of how rational and responsible these countries are being that they didn't all join in the Ukraine-Russia conflict on Russia's side. CBS News lays out four takeaways now that the summit is concluding. Iran, Saudi Arabia, and four other countries set to join. And here is South African President Cyril Ramaphosa, the current leader of the coalition, laying this out.
1: As the five BRICS countries, we have reached agreement on the guiding principles, standards, criteria, and procedures of the BRICS expansion process, which has been in discussion for quite a while. We have consensus on the first phase of this expansion process and other phases will follow. We have decided to invite the Argentine Republic, the Arab Republic of Egypt, the Federal Democratic Republic of Ethiopia, the Islamic Republic of Iran, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, and the United Arab Emirates. To become full members of BRICS, the membership will take effect from the 1st of January 2024.
0: Now, there are some very notable issues that involve Some of these countries that have played out over the last couple of years, Iran seems like it may no longer be a global regime proxy state. And it seems like that protest movement last year was potentially a cover story, some optics to obscure that major shift in power. Saudi Arabia, of course, Mohammed bin Salman became crown prince while Trump was president. He and Trump had a great relationship. Biden went over there last year trying to influence the global oil trade. Bin Salman gave him a fist bump and Biden left with nothing. Saudi Arabia seems to be fully removed from the influence of the global regime. You will recall that the United Arab Emirates was one of the countries involved in Donald Trump's Abraham Accords. And the signs of this move by the Argentinians have been appearing for quite a while now. This is the BBC from March. Argentina inflation soars past 100 percent mark. Inflation hit 102.5 percent in February, the country's statistics agency said, meaning the price of many consumer goods has more than doubled since 2022. Argentina has been in economic difficulty for years, and many people now live in poverty. Its government has been trying to stem price rises by capping the prices of food and other products. But the food and drink sectors saw the most dramatic recent increase, with prices growing by 9.8 percent in February compared to January. Skipping down. Although the symbolism of the inflation rate shooting up past 100 percent is striking, the effects of soaring inflation have long been felt in Argentina. Last September, protesters took to the streets to demand action to counter rising costs of living. And in February, Argentina's central bank said that a new 2,000 peso banknote would be issued in response to the jump in consumer prices. You see that? They increased inflation, they changed the value of the people's money, and then, in order to halt the move away from the global regime, They also had a protest movement that is the global regime waging war on the citizens of Argentina the same way they did to the citizens of Russia at the beginning of the Russia-Ukraine conflict. They tried to destabilize the country through economic warfare and punish the citizens in the meantime to make the transition away from the global regime system as painful as possible. The Argentinian government has long tried to contain inflation, but divisions have marred the country's economic policy. In December, the International Monetary Fund approved another $6 billion of bailout money. It was the latest payout for Argentina in a 30-month program that is expected to reach a total of $44 billion. So the global regime just kept flooding dollars into Argentina Bloomberg ran an article just a couple of days ago with the headline, The Hottest Jobs in Argentina Are the Ones That Pay in Dollars. And they are discussing a quote-unquote leading presidential candidate named Javier Milei, who is pushing to dollarize the Argentine economy. The article says, The truth is many Argentines aren't waiting around to see how it plays out. They're dollarizing the economy on their own, one transaction and one contract at a time. That is the global regime advertising itself. They're essentially saying all the cool kids are doing the dollar thing. It's an interesting argument to be making while Argentina is in the process of joining the BRICS currency coalition. And you can see the good twin, evil twin dynamic worldwide that I talk about consistently. The global regime versus sovereign nations and nations striving to be sovereign. You can clearly see the push and pull. You can see the economic warfare. Now, I have not spent a whole lot of time on Egypt or Ethiopia in the past few years, but I would imagine you could find similar stories to what we have seen going on throughout the world because this dichotomy exists everywhere this push and pull exists everywhere at various stages back to the cbs article questions have been raised about whether BRICS is taking an anti-west turn under the influence of china and russia amid beijing's deteriorating relationship with the united states and russia's standoff with the west over the war in ukraine the good news is that those relationships aren't deteriorating with the United States under Donald Trump. They're only deteriorating with the United States as a proxy state of the global regime with the illegitimate administration pretending to be in charge. The additions will also increase the group's economic clout. BRICS, which was set up in 2009, currently represents around 40% of the world's population and more than a quarter of the world's GDP. That is set to increase with new members, which include three of the world's biggest oil producers in Saudi Arabia, the UAE and Iran. And that's weird, isn't it? It's like the whole neocon globalist project is falling apart. Remember wars for oil Apparently, the global regime has lost those. There's no other way to take this. Takeaway number two, Xi's mysterious absence. Xi Jinping missed a highly anticipated speech at the summit on Tuesday, instead sending his commerce minister to deliver hostile remarks clearly directed toward the U.S. And that is a very interesting note from an optical standpoint. She does not want to deliver that particular message at this particular point in time. Why is that? The unexplained absence triggered rumor and speculation. Such behavior at choreographed events are not part of Beijing's political playbook for high-level officials, let alone for the president himself. Chinese state media and China's foreign ministry also appeared to have been caught off guard news articles and social media posts from official channels were written as if she had made the speech implying his absence was last minute commerce minister wang wen tao gave the remarks and among those remarks said should we embrace prosperity openness and inclusiveness or allow hegemonic and bullying acts to throw us into depression cbs gives their own context Beijing traditionally uses the word hegemon when making veiled references to Washington. Ah, it's just veiled references to the global regime. Prepare for some ridiculous propaganda. Any explanation for Xi's temporary disappearance is highly unlikely. Some have speculated that he may have fallen ill and quickly recovered. He later returned to the public eye and joined a dinner, keeping the reason for his earlier absence a secret. He got that very, very short illness. This is probably quick COVID, as opposed to long COVID, of course. Vladimir Putin was also absent. He did not travel to the summit after the International Criminal Court issued an arrest warrant for him in March for the abduction of children from Ukraine. That's weird. You would think that they would be going after the UN for abducting children from every country around the world, but no, they're going to just blame Russia for it. Sure, there's been a 25-year-long U.N. migration program in Ukraine, but that's Russia's fault too. The article notes that Putin attended virtually and Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov went instead. By the way, there was a lot of news made this week about the plane crash that is rumored to have killed Evgeny Prigozhin, And in most people's minds, that is confirmed. We have not gotten contrary information in the mainstream yet. But that is the sort of thing that everyone should be very, very hesitant to believe. It was not two months ago that we were told Prigozhin was taking his Wagner forces to stage a coup against Vladimir Putin. That never happened. And then he appeared in Belarus with Putin's buddy Lukashenko. A short time after. Now, is he dead? Hey, maybe he is. But I'm certainly not going to factor that into my thinking yet. I'm certainly not going to believe it just because the news said so. And Prigozhin has a history of doing things that people don't understand. The article says, despite some recent U-turns, South Africa remains a signatory to the ICC, the International Criminal Court which means its authorities might have tried to arrest Putin had he turned up, though they tried to get out of doing so. Russia does not recognize the ICC and previously called the accusations outrageous and unacceptable, but Putin's reluctance to fly show he's taking the arrest warrant seriously. Ah, yes, that's the only conclusion you can possibly draw is that Putin was concerned about being arrested by South African officials on behalf of the International Criminal Court. And it should be pretty obvious that the International Criminal Court is just a body of the global regime that they use to prosecute people when they get out of line. China and India pull troops from their disputed border. India's prime minister and China's leader agreed Thursday to intensify efforts to de-escalate tensions. So they're going to intensify efforts to de-escalate tensions at the disputed border between them and bring home thousands of their troops deployed there, according to an official from India's foreign ministry. The Chinese embassy in New Delhi later tweeted a foreign ministry statement saying she stressed that improving China-India relations served their common interests and was also conducive to peace, stability and development of the world and region. The Russian news agency TASS.com T-A-S-S, published this yesterday, expanded BRICS to overtake G7 by fourfold in population, boast 44% of global oil reserves. With the 2024 accession of six new member states. The BRICS group will now boast 44.35 percent of global oil reserves, according to TASS's calculations based on official data, thus overtaking the G7 nations, which have only a 3.9 percent share. In its expanded makeup, the BRICS group will now span 48.5 million square kilometers, covering 36 percent of the Earth's surface, a territory that is twice as large as the G7. Its total population will reach 3.6 billion people, or 45 percent of the global population, and more than four times as large as the G7's population, and there are still plenty of other countries trying to join. They note that BRICS nations are now one-third of global economy. The GDP of the newly expanded BRICS in terms of purchasing power parity will reach 65 trillion dollars or 37.3% of global GDP, versus the G7 at 29.9%. BRICS will now account for almost half of global food production, as the aggregate wheat harvest was 49% of the global total in the 11 BRICS countries in 2021, versus 19% in the G7, while the rice harvest equaled 55% versus 2.6% for the G7. BRICS will now also enjoy an advantage in terms of its share of global production of high-tech critical metals, as the expanded 11-nation group accounts for 79% of aluminum production and 77% of palladium output. Although the post-expansion BRICS will account for 38.3% of total global industrial production, the G7 will still have an advantage in terms of its export share, which stands at 28.8% versus the expanded BRICS. 23.4% share. This is basically a giant train just continually barreling down the tracks at the global regime. And yet most Americans, standard issue villagers, know nothing about this. This is not a bunch of small, insignificant countries just doing their own thing. These are major power players on the world stage, lining up directly in opposition to the global regime which for as long as the U.S. is under its influence means that all of this is going to affect us directly and in increasingly significant ways. Now, we can hope that this thing is prepared for, and I have a strong suspicion that it has been. But that does not mean we are not in for a rough ride. I mentioned the sanctions and the other economic warfare waged against Russia at the beginning of the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Russia has come out ahead of all that and did rather quickly, but that doesn't mean there aren't painful adjustments along the way, which is why it makes sense to look ahead and do what you can to diversify a bit and prepare a bit. I am not a financial expert and cannot tell you what to do, but getting some gold or some silver or some precious metals and maybe some Bitcoin makes a lot of sense to me personally. Now, we know there has been an overwhelming amount of re over Elon Musk, quote unquote, purchasing Twitter last year. Now, of course, called X, there is an account on X called X Daily that releases Twitter news. And there has been some significant stuff this week. They have been doing what they call bot cleanups. And I guess we will see over time how effective that has been. They announced yesterday that Elon Musk is in talks with top Wall Street executives about X's future payment system. The plan is reportedly for a better version of PayPal with lower transaction costs compared to credit cards. So we'll see how that goes. And they released a short thread the other day on shadow banning and wrote Insight. Here's why it's so complicated for X to remove the legacy shadow bans. Tweep cred. The user quote unquote reputation score is alone mentioned 229 times all throughout the X code. X also has hundreds of different anti-spam models and custom free text moderation notes on accounts. Elon and team are aware of the issues and have been working hard on fixing the shadow ban issue for months However, with the degree these systems are baked into the code, it's likely that they just can't be removed piece by piece, but will need a complete rework instead. So basically, the idea here is that the shadow banning is baked deep into the code of X, formerly Twitter. And so they can't simply remove the shadow banning aspect of Twitter. One of the keynotes, which I think should be relatively obvious to people, but for whatever reason isn't is that it is very unwise to follow a ton of accounts in hopes that they will follow you back. That ratio, followers to following for larger accounts, I think you have to be following over 2,500 accounts for this to matter. But that follower to following ratio actually determines the extent of your shadow banning. This, of course, is to nullify that strategy where you'll see an account has followed 20,000 different accounts or 50,000 or 200,000 in order to get followers back, which makes it look like they have a huge following, none of which they've actually earned. And today they write insiders at Meta and Google have admitted X is changing the game when it comes to free speech policies on social media, and they link to an article in The Washington Post from today following elon musk's lead big tech is surrendering to disinformation can you hear the re echoing off the hills social media companies are receding from their role as watchdogs against political misinformation abandoning their most aggressive efforts to police online falsehoods in a trend expected to profoundly affect the 2024 presidential election you get it They're allowing too much free speech, and that's the last thing we can stand in a free and fair election in our democracy. An array of circumstances is fueling the retreat. Mass layoffs at Meta and other major tech companies have gutted teams dedicated to promoting accurate information online. An aggressive legal battle over claims that the Biden administration pressured social media platforms to silence certain speech has blocked a key path to detecting election interference. So the legal battle over the illegitimate administration commanding censorship of American citizens in direct violation of the First Amendment has, quote unquote, blocked a key path to detecting election interference. Mind-blowing, isn't it? The defense of free speech is making it more likely that the election will be interfered with. And ex-CEO Elon Musk has reset industry standards, rolling back strict rules against misinformation on the site formerly known as Twitter. In a sign of Musk's influence, Meta briefly considered a plan last year to ban all political advertising on Facebook. The company shelved it after Musk announced plans to transform rival Twitter into a haven for free speech, according to two people familiar with the plans who spoke on the condition of anonymity to describe sensitive matters. Oh, it's very sensitive. The retrenchment comes just months ahead of the 2024 primaries as GOP frontrunner Donald Trump continues to rally supporters with false claims. That election fraud drove his 2020 loss to Joe Biden. Multiple investigations into the election have revealed no evidence of fraud, and Trump now faces federal criminal charges connected to his efforts to overturn the election. Still, YouTube, X, and Meta have stopped labeling or removing posts that repeat Trump's claims, even as voters increasingly get their news on social media. Wow, isn't that amazing? YouTube X and Meta have stopped labeling or removing posts that repeat Trump's claims. They are no longer labeling and censoring claims about election fraud from Donald Trump. And we're supposed to understand how very dangerous that is because more people get their news from social media. If they continue to do that and these claims can just run around on social media, more people might see them and then more people might believe them. And that's very dangerous from a misinformation perspective, because the election, there was no evidence of fraud. These are baseless claims. That's why we need to make sure that no one can ever see them. Trump capitalized on those relaxed standards in his recent interview with former Fox News host Tucker Carlson, hosted by X. The former president punctuated the conversation, which streamed Wednesday night during the first Republican primary debate of the 2024 campaign, with false claims that the 2020 election was rigged and that the Democrats had, quote unquote, cheated to elect Biden. The evolution of the company's practices was described by more than a dozen current and former employees, many of them speaking on the condition of anonymity to offer sensitive details. The new approach marks a sharp shift From the 2020 election, when social media companies expanded their efforts to police disinformation, a.k.a. went along with all of the government's demands to censor. The companies feared a repeat of 2016 when Russian trolls attempted to interfere in the U.S. presidential campaign, turning the platforms into tools of political manipulation and division. And it was not the regime. It was the Russians. The regime would never turn these platforms into tools of political manipulation and division. In fact, they would never allow political manipulation or division of any kind. And that is why they censor so much. They're protecting us from the things that we might say and that we might read. And they do it responsibly. Unlike that mean, mean Elon Musk, These pared down commitments emerge as covert influence campaigns from Russia and China have grown more aggressive and advances in generative artificial intelligence have created new tools for misleading voters. You see that the machine can produce even more convincing propaganda than The Washington Post and The New York Times can. They kind of sound jealous, don't they? Experts in disinformation say the dynamic headed into 2024 calls for more aggressive efforts to combat it, not less. Oh, no. Musk has taken the bar and put it on the floor, said Emily Bell, a professor at the Toe Center for Digital Journalism at Columbia University. (laughs) They have an entire center for digital journalism where she studies the relationship between tech platforms and news publishers. Oh, is she a doctor? For the 2024 presidential election, misinformation around races is, quote, going to be even worse, she added. They had an entire paragraph explaining her credentials, and they had nothing but two quotes. Musk has taken the bar and put it on the floor. Oh, how clever. And going to be even worse. That was her contribution to this article. Thank goodness she's a PhD. Otherwise, we might just assume that that is a standard issue Biden voter on Twitter. The social media platforms say they still have tools to prevent the spread of misinformation. We remove content that misleads voters on how to vote or encourages interference in the democratic process. YouTube spokesperson Ivy Choi said in a statement, Additionally, we connect people to authoritative election news and information through recommendations and information panels. Meta spokeswoman Erin McPike said in a statement that, quote, protecting the U.S. 2024 elections is one of our top priorities and our integrity efforts continue to lead the industry. And of course, that happens to be true. You'll remember that Mark Zuckerberg spent a half a billion dollars in 2020 leading the industry on issues of election integrity. Sure, he was absolutely destroying it, but you have to admit that he was leading the industry. Meta notes that it is now giving users control. They can opt out of the constant fact-checking that they are subjected to on Facebook and Instagram. And the article goes on. It's quite long. Have a read, if you like. But the point is that they're getting very, very nervous about the scaling back of censorship. Is it real? That remains to be seen. It would be very smart for them to tell the public that the censorship has been scaled back so that standard issue uniparty villagers will express their dismay about all of these controversial and upsetting opinions that they might inadvertently see online, naturally providing a justification to further censor. But it could be that a far less censored environment is emerging, and I talked about this a bit the other day. You cannot have a Facebook and an Instagram and a YouTube that are censoring heavily with an equally popular parallel site not censoring at all. People will quickly learn what sort of stuff is being censored, and the next step after that is beginning to understand why. Now, the freakout over the potential uncensoring of social media has been ongoing now for a year and a half, but we have good reason to understand why it is now so, so much more re-inducing. It is so much worse than ever before, because last night, Donald Trump rejoined Twitter, now X. And what could be more horrifying than that? Donald Trump currently sits million followers on Twitter, and has gained hundreds of thousands just since last night. The tweet was sent out at 9.38 p.m. Eastern Time, and as of now, about 17 hours later, it has 172.4 million views and 1.3 million likes. It is 200,000 likes short of his most popular tweet ever, which happened to be the one where he announced his COVID-19, and it seems like this will probably get there pretty soon. He wrote in the tweet DonaldJTrump.com, that is a link, and then he included a picture that says mugshot August 24th, 2023, and it has the now famous picture of Donald Trump's supposed mugshot. Below that, he writes election interference, never surrender with an exclamation point, and donaldjtrump.com. People have pointed out that the first letter of each one of those lines, if you take them in order, spells out END, end. Now, is that intentional? Is it purely coincidence? And is the pattern seeking within the MAGA community tuned up too high? I suppose that is in the eye of the beholder. So the censorship is scaling back, and now Donald Trump is on Twitter. Not only do they no longer have the weapons they had before to silence the speech of American citizens, they also have the most dangerous possible presence online back in the game for the first time in two and a half years. Donald Trump is back on X. He can post anytime he wants now. We thought maybe he would never come back, but now he is back. This is massive news. Unless this is the only time he ever posts, I think it's kind of difficult to overstate how potentially important this is. He is able to communicate with the public at large again, immediately. This was long one of his advantages. Throughout the entire time, from the moment he came down the escalator until he was taken off the platform in the days following January 6th, he was not only able to speak to the public, he was able to hear from the public. And you can contrast that with Joe Biden's online presence, which is not real. It's just simply not Joe Biden. And you can make the argument that none of this is really Joe Biden's doing. But we just saw last week that the illegitimate press secretary tweeted out on her account a tweet that was supposed to be coming from the POTUS account. It has always been clear that Joe Biden is not writing those tweets. I'm not sure you can really argue that Corrine Jean-Pierre is writing those tweets either because who knows who's tweeting for Corrine Jean-Pierre. You would hope that the press secretary would be able to do that on her own, but we're talking about Corrine Jean-Pierre. There is no point at which her ability to message on behalf of the fake president has helped the fake president in any way whatsoever. Now, for a year and a half, Donald Trump has had Truth Social kind of as the MAGA outpost. And I've talked on the podcast before about how those Truth Social posts, even though they don't have the wide reach that a Twitter X post will have now, would regularly be reposted by all sorts of people, all over Twitter, and they would be covered by the mainstream media. So a lot of what Trump was saying, even on Truth Social, was getting out to the public through mainstream channels. But now he's just right there in people's faces. It is unavoidable. Donald Trump is back online. He is now the most powerful voice in the world on social media. I have talked before about he and Elon Musk, and Kanye West and maybe some others can change the public conversation by simply clicking send. And Donald Trump now has 14 plus months before the supposed November 2024 election to do that at will on whatever issue he chooses. We have already dispensed of the Ron DeSantis campaign online. The other candidates are utterly insignificant and Joe Biden will be as well. But all of that was done without Trump even being on the platform. That's how powerful MAGA is, and that is how much the public understands that something is seriously wrong in the country. Rasmussen's polling suggests two out of three Americans at least understand that the 2020 election was stolen. So the people are waking up, the messaging is strong, the cause is righteous and just, and true and now donald trump is coming back to the platform to lead that cause that is an absolute nightmare for these people so donald trump went down to fulton county georgia to be arrested by funny willis as the leader of this great conspiracy to overturn the 2020 election that happened to be stolen fraudulently executed Fraudulently certified and topped off with one big fake inauguration. And of course, the big story coming out of this very serious arrest is the release of Donald Trump's mugshot. Now, as I said, he released a picture of that mugshot in his tweet, and that picture of that mugshot in his tweet does not have the little watermark of the Fulton County Sheriff's Office. On Wednesday, we were shown. Supposed mugshots of his co conspirators, and their face was positioned normally in the frame with the sheriff's office watermark featured fairly prominently in the upper left of the photo. The picture Trump released on Twitter did not have that watermark at all, and then the photo that has gone viral everywhere has that watermark, but very, very small and further up in the corner. And hey, Do I know that this means anything? Absolutely not. It's just very strange because you would think that in a real, very important indictment of a former president and his co-conspirators, all of the mugshots would probably look the same. What did they redo their mugshot studio from Wednesday to Thursday? Why did Donald Trump post a picture that doesn't feature that watermark at all? Did he Photoshop it out? And why is that watermark smaller in the Trump photo than it is in the photos of all the other co-conspirators where the size and look of the watermark is entirely consistent? It's just very, very strange for a very real indictment of such an important man in such an important situation facing such important charges. And this is also one of those moments where it's worth remembering That for these grave crimes Donald Trump is accused of, he seems to be very little flight risk considering he has a massive jumbo jet. And we are told that the very violent dictators over in China and Russia are his best friends. He's always cozying up to Xi or cozying up to Putin or cozying up to Kim Jong-un or cozying up to Orban or cozying up to Mohammed bin Salman. He's always cozying up. Well, why can't he take his big, powerful jumbo jet and go cozy up to them in person and ask them for political asylum? I am a political dissident, he would say. The illegitimate president in the country formerly known as America is trying to prosecute his political opposition. Please give me asylum. He could just do that. He could take off in the plane, be like, nope, we're turning toward Russia land on the ground, and then just stay there. Is Putin going to extradite him? Is the United States going to go to war with Russia to extradite Donald Trump to the district attorney in Atlanta or Alvin Bragg or Jack Smith? All for totally made-up charges where the very bringing of those charges suggests that we have a totally corrupt justice system and a whole bunch of unconstitutional laws on the books. Is that what's going to happen? Is the illegitimate president going to wage war against Vladimir Putin to extradite Donald Trump to Fonny Willis? No, that's never going to happen. Why are they being so casual about the man who tried to overthrow our democracy? It's like the whole thing is fake. And the fakeness of all of this is causing a great deal of reeing. You can hear it echoing through the Grand Canyon. If you remain completely quiet at night, you can hear the ree climbing its way up the walls of the Florida governor's mansion. The reeing has intensified. And of course, it's intensified in The Atlantic that today published this article by some deranged communist named Megan Garber. The mugshot is a warning. And it's worth noting that they actually changed the headline on that article. When it was first released, the headline was, He Wants You to Look at Him. The subheadline on this article, Donald Trump's booking photo was supposed to be an exercise in humility. He turned it into a threat. The Greek myth of Medusa takes many forms, but the most common is this. Medusa was a woman who, having angered the goddess Athena, was made into a monster. Athena punished Medusa by turning her hair into a writhing tangle of serpents, and then by ensuring that anyone who looked into Medusa's eyes would be turned to stone. In shaping their story of a gaze made violent, the creators of that early democracy were prescient about the man who has tried to destroy ours. Donald Trump's head may be covered in spray rather than snakes, but he is a Medusa all the same, reconfigured for the age of mass media. Once you look at him, your fate is already sealed. And, you know, at some point, You just have to start feeling sympathy for these people. Imagine torturing yourself this way, constantly, for eight years. Last night, the 45th president became inmate number P01135809 of Georgia's Fulton County Jail. Trump had his mugshot taken. It was shared with the public. We looked, of course. And he was prepared for our gaze, hair, makeup, angle, pose. In the portrait, it is a portrait. In the end, Trump glares directly into the camera. He seethes. He glowers. He turns in a studied performance. Photos like this are typically exercises in enforced humility. Trump's is a display of ongoing power. He treats his mugshot as our menace. Oh, no. Just no. The public imagined the picture long before we actually saw it. Spending months before yesterday discussing and anticipating it. Oh, what fulfilling lives you and your friends must have, Megan. All the anticipation of Trump's mugshot. Are you sure it was just a few months and not eight solid years, Megan? The preemptive attention was fueled by the fact that the first president to be indicted has also been indicted at this point four times. Each new legal proceeding has inspired more talk of the image. Would there be a mugshot? What would it look like? What would it feel like to see it? The Fulton County Sheriff promised that his office would do its part to provide the answers. We'll have a mugshot ready for you, he said, like a paparazzo making his assurances to TMZ. And is that what it's like? The sheriff is like a paparazzo, a photographer that just waits outside clubs and restaurants and celebrities' homes in order to get a picture of them in an unusual situation that people can gawk at? Is that what the sheriff's job is like to you, Megan Garber? I thought you cared about our institutions. This is extraordinarily disappointing, to say the least. And TMZ, well, that is not a professional news source. What are you saying about all of this, Megan Garber? Once it became clear that the officer would make good on the promise, the speculation turned into giddiness. Last night, CNN led a countdown to Trump's appearance at the Atlanta area jail. It's Chiron's announcing when Trump's plane had departed for Georgia when it landed at the airport and when its passengers had been deposited into vehicles that would take them to the facility. Trump was given a motorcade which made its way through the city like a parade of lights and sirens. MSNBC shot it from above, using the footage as B-roll, while its commentators discussed the belated satisfactions of justice. Oh, the justice is so satisfying. And they tried to present it, of course, as OJ's white escape bronco. Oh, Trump, that hardened criminal finally coming to meet the law. Or will he? O.J. thought he could run, but for how long? He tried to run, knowing that he was running in vain. Where would he go? Those helicopters overhead. Did he have a speedboat waiting offshore? Did he have an available Trump Force One that he could potentially fly to Russia? No, no. O.J. was screwed. He was doomed to meet justice, just as Trump was yesterday. Even as Trump was held to account then, even as he was in theory brought low, he was elevated. Last night, as so many times before, viewers' gazes were directed Trumpward. Medusa's curse is also the curse of anyone in her path. Whatever the consequences, she compels us to look. In the process, though, the event that should have been a show of accountability for Trump became an act of concession to him. The typical mugshot usually taken after the subject's unexpected arrest, bestows its power on the people on the other end of the camera. The alleged criminal in it tends to be disheveled, displaced, small. But Trump, trailed by the news cameras that confer his ubiquity, found a way to turn the moment's historical meaning, a former president, mugshotted, into one more opportunity for brand building. He might have smiled, as some of his alleged co-conspirators did, making light of his legal jeopardy. He might have assumed an expression of indignation. The better to channel one of his preferred personas, the innocent man, victimized. And everybody knows he's guilty. We don't need to await a trial before a jury of his peers. We don't need to see his crime proven beyond a shadow of a doubt, beyond all reasonable doubt. No, he is guilty, guilty, guilty. Therefore, he must be punished immediately, as all criminals who get mugshotted. That is why it is so much fun and so appropriate to make fun of those criminals. In the event that they might be guilty, it's important to have mocked them for being disheveled. Oh, thank goodness we have responsible people like Megan Garber guarding our institutions. But he did neither. Instead, he looks straight at the viewer, seemingly incandescent with rage, taking the advice he has reportedly given to others. Perform your anger. Turn it into your script. Make it into your threat. His menacing glare gives a similar stage direction to the people who follow him and do his bidding both in spite of his disrespect for democratic processes and because of it. Oh, it's so poetic, everything working both ways. And this is definitely not an example of Megan Garber just having absolutely no idea what's happening. Welcome to the age, then, of mugshot rule. Trump, evidently pleased with his portrait, broadcast it on social media. How dare he? The platforms he used included X, formerly known as Twitter which had once banned him for spreading violent lies to its users. And let's pause there for just one second so that we can read, let's say the last two tweets that Donald Trump posted on January 8th of 2021 before he was suspended. Here they are. The 75 million great American patriots who voted for me, America first and make America great again will have a giant voice long into the future. They will not be disrespected or treated unfairly in any way, shape or form to all those who have asked. This is the other. I will not be going to the inauguration on January 20th. So those are the violent lies after which Trump was banned from the platform. Donald Trump spread violent lies. According to Megan Garber, Megan Garber is saying that while lying to her audience, She knows her audience. She knows her audience is a collection of standard issue villagers who imagine themselves as elitists. She says that Donald Trump did this thing. They've been told that Donald Trump did this thing. Therefore, she is merely reminding them of something they already know because they feel like that must be true. They believe it. And in their minds, Megan Garber is actually telling an important truth, not blatantly lying about reality. You can see the tweets that preceded the banning of Donald Trump. But the thing is, this subject is just too important for people to misunderstand. And by misunderstand, it doesn't really mean like they're drawing the wrong meaning from something. It just means that they're drawing a meaning that the regime does not want them to draw. Therefore, they are misunderstanding. The image he shared is doctored, of course. Its background is stripped of the Fulton County seal, as if it were a mere headshot for an actor seeking the role of autocrat. Oh, that is a vicious, vicious slam. And hey, Megan Garber, I definitely see your point about this mugshot and the positioning of that watermark. But are you sure he stripped it off? Or is it possible that it was just put on later? I mean, honestly... Why does it look so much different than the other ones? I can tell you're disappointed, but I can also tell you haven't really thought it through. The caption Trump appended to the shot suggests that in this elemental legal document, questions of legality are beside the point. Oh, the mugshot is now a legal document that must be revered and taken very, very seriously. And it attempts to turn the language of the accusation against itself. Election interference, it says, baselessly suggesting that the indictment is its own attempt to interfere with the results of the 2020 election. Never surrender, it adds, applying the same tactic to the photo that existed precisely because of Trump's surrender. And it's funny how many people think that they have nailed Donald Trump with that as if he didn't realize what he was doing. And of course, all of the Ron DeSantis people are mindlessly grunting about that. They think that it proves once again how stupid Donald Trump is. It is amazing that Megan Garber does not even allow for the possibility that this is election interference in the 2024 election based on the fact that Donald Trump's claims about the 2020 election are, again, quote unquote, baseless. The problem is, as soon as you realize that the election was actually stolen, all of the other stuff just simply falls away. Everything he did becomes entirely justified. And it makes a whole lot more sense that he has that massive motorcade everywhere he goes. Mugshots have long been used to make political messages. See, for example, the booking images of John Lewis, of Jane Fonda, of Tom DeLay. Trump's version, though, is less a piece of wordless rhetoric than it is a reminder to all who see it of the threat embodied by a vengeful Trump. This chick sounds horrified. And if someone is horrified by the possibility that an illegitimate regime might not be able to imprison its political opposition. It sounds like that person has a whole lot to hide. One of the logistical purposes of the mugshot is to create a visual record of the arrested person should they be accused of committing another crime later on. Trump's booking photo is, in that way, a symbolic gesture. We needed no further documentation of the most inescapable face in the world, but also something of an omen. This will never be over, it suggests. <laughs> that face with all its dangers will only become more difficult to avoid. Trump reportedly orchestrated the logistics of last night's surrender so that its melodramas would play out on prime time. Isn't that incredible? Just last week, the district attorney, Fannie Willis, and her controllers in Washington, D.C., coordinated the release of the indictment, to be featured prominently in primetime with breathless coverage on MSNBC and CNN. But Donald Trump is extra criminal for orchestrating his own arrest, they claim. Now, just how much did Trump orchestrate that? Was it just the timing? Was it just the mugshot release? How did he have this much power To coordinate his own arrest and booking and mugshot and the release of that mugshot. Gosh, these people will just bend to Donald Trump's will all the time, even though they are very powerful prosecutors from the opposition party attempting to imprison him. They still they still take orders from him, according to Megan Garber at The Atlantic. Apparently, I'm not saying it. She's saying it. Why is she saying it? I don't know. Is she proposing a conspiracy theory? Oh, I doubt it. She is very, very certain that Joe Biden is a real legitimate president exercising the full power and authority of his office. But nonetheless, Donald Trump is able to orchestrate an entire melodrama playing out on reality television, a.k.a. the cable news, right in front of the nation. This was supposed to be their moment of victory, their moment of glory, just like when Joe Biden, quote unquote, won the 2020 election. Don't you remember how it was just all supposed to go away? Finally, they've gotten Donald Trump. Everything is just going to go back to normal, where everyone respects them so much, and they get their way all the time, and no one ever has to make them feel bad or mad or sad. But it didn't happen. The torture just continues. The self-torture just continues. They can't escape it. Even his mugshot haunts us. As the image dropped last night, just before 9 p.m., the Fox host Jesse Waters asked his guest, Ned Ryan, of the conservative political training organization American Majority to comment on its meaning. Ryan complied, discussing the photo as evidence of Trump's personal persecution by the administrative state and reducing the facts gathered in the indictment to mere political gamesmanship. The only appropriate response he suggested would be for Republicans to counter with their own indictments. You're saying Republicans should promise mugshots of Democrats, Waters said. One hundred percent came the reply. Sean Hannity began his show with the same idea as he broadcast Trump's portrait to his viewers. You are looking at Joe Biden. Oh, I'm sorry. Donald Trump's official mugshot, the host said. He paused for dramatic effect before clarifying the point. Joe Biden will be soon enough anyway. And there it is. There's the horror. There is the horror, as expressed by a uniparty left standard issue villager and wannabe elite writing for the wannabe elite global regime publication, The Atlantic, owned by the widow of Steve Jobs. And she is expressing the horror of all wannabe elites and all wannabe elite publications. All of them the mouthpieces of the very best people in the world, you know, the billionaires and the philanthropists. And somehow they all just favor the regime. This is their horror. They were supposed to relish this moment. This is the moment they've been waiting for, for years and years. And Trump just rubbed their noses in it and all his supporters just laughed a hearty laugh. They started making t-shirts and memes. That's not what was supposed to happen. They were supposed to know they were finally defeated and they were supposed to silence themselves forever. They were supposed to just bow to the power of the regime. The regime has enforced its will at every opportunity for over eight years now and nothing has worked. Trump is stronger than ever. He is finally arrested on four different indictments. 91 counts of criminal activity and conspiracy. And they just keep loving him more. And they just won't stop making fun of us. We just arrested their cult leader and hero for the fourth time. And they just keep laughing at us. It's like... They're so deep into their cult, they don't understand what danger they're in. Can't you see them panicking inside their laughter? And hey, okay, commies, go with that, I guess. Go with that, you finally got him, and oh, we're panicking. Oh, we're so scared. Oh, you're going to rig another election and steal it? Oh, yes, we're so scared. You're so powerful, you've shown us how powerful you are. Oh, you arrested Trump for the fourth time. Ah, you got us, big guy. Ah, you got us. We are so scared. We're going to shut up. And if we don't shut up, you will try to increase our censorship, we know. And if that doesn't work, oh, well, then, hey, what's going to happen then, commies? Oh, now the chatter, which is actually going pretty wide, is about the potential assassination of Donald Trump. Now, I don't mean to depress you, and I don't think there's any way that that is going to happen, but it would not surprise me in the least to hear about an attempt on his life as a narrative element just to make it absolutely clear to everything that A, these people will stop at nothing, and B, short of that, nothing's going to work. Now, to be clear, that also won't work. But nothing short of that will work. That is obvious at this point. We might even hear that it happened. But the thing is, you got to remember when you hear something like that, it's probably going to be fake news. And so you just wait on it. Because what are they trying to do? They are trying to take the frustration and righteous anger of MAGA and turn it into reckless anger and violence, So they can clamp down in a justified way that the people will support. That is what they want. All of the people who are absolutely sick of the regime and beginning to think about Trump and think about Robert F. Kennedy Jr. How do you get them back in the fold? Well, nothing would work better than their ability to sell a January 6th style narrative. And they might well think that an attempt on Trump's life would do that. And Tucker Carlson asked about it in the interview the other night. Trump kind of demurred. He didn't answer that question. He was asked about the Civil War. He gave an answer about the love and the passion in the country, kind of directed himself away from that. Is it possible they would try something? I have no doubt that they have tried countless times so far and it has not worked. So, yeah, it's possible. It's possible that they try it all the time and we just never hear about it. But the way the chatter is going. Maybe there's something there, maybe we hear about it. It's worth discussing in advance so that we can approach it rationally as it arrives rather than just reacting in the moment, freaking out and then who knows what. Now, is Donald Trump scared? Not at all. Here is his response after this booking in Fulton County yesterday. Thank you very much for being here. I really believe this is a very sad day for America. This should never happen. If you challenge an election, you should be able to challenge an election. I thought the election was a rigged election, a stolen election. And I should have every right to do that. As you know, you have many people that you've been watching over the years do the same thing, whether it's Hillary Clinton or Stacey Abrams or many others. When you uh, have that great freedom to challenge, you have to be able to. Otherwise, you're have very dishonest elections. What has taken place here is a travesty of justice. We did nothing wrong. I did nothing wrong. And everybody knows that I've never had such support. And that goes with the other ones, too. What they're doing is election interference. They're trying to interfere with an election. There's never been anything like it in our country before. This is their way of campaigning. And this is one instance, but you have three other instances. It's election interference. Now, I know the beginning there is kind of quiet. It's because he was walking toward the cameras and the microphone and his plane is running in the background. But that man is not scared. He is not scared at all. He does not have his lawyers standing next to him, making sure that he says the right things or speaking on his behalf, as you might expect to see from someone accused of serious criminal violations. That's nowhere to be found. We just have Donald Trump saying whatever he wants to say, defiant in front of the cameras, Apparently bold enough to defy all norms on that type of thing, but never bold enough to escape to Russia. And now, after four indictments, we finally have a mugshot. Just no mugshot from the other ones. For whatever reason, they just decided not to arrest him and take a mugshot. But on this one, they totally nailed it. And sure, there's that weird thing on the watermark. And sure, there is a lot of re, but it's all totally real. I mean, at least it is for the people reeing and that's a nice boomerang. Now, before I go, I want to share a post that I made last night on the X platform and I included a little video clip as captured by my Twitter buddy, Pillar Red, of a brief statement that Donald Trump made in the Tucker Carlson interview the other night. This is one of those situations where you can say, is Trump being hyperbolic? Is he just freely using language or is he being completely and totally literal? Here is the statement. People in the Democrat Party, you have great people that are Democrats. Most yeah. of the people in our country are fantastic and I'm representing everybody. I'm not just Republicans. or right. conservative. I represent everybody. I'm the president of everybody. I represent everybody. I'm the president of everybody. Now, is he saying that he is the president of everybody when he is in the role of president? Or is he saying he's the president of everybody right now? You can go ahead and make that decision for yourself. But I wrote this. Joe Biden will never be president. I've ended every podcast that way for nearly three years. People said I was stupid and crazy. All good. Right is right. If I end up being wrong, fine. But Joe Biden is not a legitimate president and does not wield the power of his supposed office. He's not the president just because the TV said so before showing you a fake inauguration and enough examples of, quote unquote, Biden being president to convince you he didn't win. Donald Trump is the duly elected president. Why? Because he was duly elected by the people. Certifying fraud doesn't magically make it not fraudulent, just because some illegitimate politicians signed off on it under threat or for reward. Did Trump know all this while publicly recognized as president? Of course. Did he just walk away knowing the country had been usurped? Of course not. He did this to prevent a civil war and it worked. Most of America understands this. The standard-issue villagers in the Uniparty, who spent the last three years at the intellectual kids' table on censored social media, benefiting from the new normal and their perceived social status, are the only people who don't. They happen to control a great many things in this country, which is what makes their numbers seem big. They're not big. They're also clearly not very smart or competent. They've been wrong about everything that matters for a very long time. They think Ron DeSantis is going to win a fake rigged primary and save the nation. They'll be in the replies here saying, I don't know what's happening. They haven't even figured out Operation Warp Speed yet. They're years behind on everything that matters. They're years behind on this, too. The problem is they all know what they have said and done. They know how they treated people. How will they admit they're wrong? Their entire lives are based on social status, mostly among strangers online. They could end all of this in a single day by simply admitting what everyone already knows. Donald Trump won by a lot. Remove the fake president. Remove all illegitimate politicians. We can even have a new election to prove it if you want. Elections are stolen nationwide at all levels to benefit the uniparty. The will of the people is not represented and the government exists without the consent of the governed. Paper ballots, hand marked, hand counted, one day of voting with very specific and approved exceptions. Registries purged and voters re-registered prior. Absolutely no machines, fully transparent, fully checkable and verifiable by every American citizen. Every Trump supporter will welcome that in full and absolute confidence. Every conscientious American should, if you want to save America and actually fix this country, that's how simple it is. We welcome absolutely everyone. We are happy to unify, but only around truth. It's strange that you would prefer your own vote be stolen rather than to simply admit you're wrong. It's better on the other side. Make America great again. American Renaissance inbound. You know what to do. I'll be back on Monday at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president.
1: In my mind, that's the end
0: game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do. By signing up for a paid subscription at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.CancelCouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree Linktree.com slash I'mYourModerator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
1: In my mind, that's the end
0: game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator.